Well, on June 6th, 1944, was the invasion of Normandy. And on June 5th, the day before the Allied forces were going to enter into Europe by coming against the Germans at the beaches of Normandy, General Patton got his third army leaders together and he basically gave them a message that left zero room for failure. Here's part of what he said to his other leaders. He says, I don't want to get any messages saying I'm holding my position. We are not holding. We are advancing constantly. And we are not interested in holding on to anything. Our basic plan of operation is to advance and to keep on advancing regardless of whether or not we have to go over, under, or through the enemy. Now, looking back in history, if you're familiar with the invasion of Normandy, you know that it was very costly. They don't even know for sure how many lives were lost at Normandy. Some estimates are around 9,000, but they really don't know. And as he was giving this message, can you imagine if we've seen video, if you've seen tapes, if you've seen still photos, even like this photo here, I, I, I try to imagine what it would have been like in the hearts of those young men going into battle. Coming up onto the shore like they are in that picture and knowing that that door is going to drop down into the water, you're going to jump into the cold water and you're going to charge the shore and you're going to face what at that particular instant is unknown opposition and we know it turned out to be unbelievable opposition that the water on the shoreline turned red with the blood of Allied troops. The reality of Patton's speech was he was really speaking motivationally and probably just a little bit out of um, necessity knowing that really on that day that the fate of the free world was really at risk. Now the words that he spoke may or may not have came true. They may not have been able to advance. They may not have been able to go over, under, around, or through the enemy. This was a man speaking in human terms. We're in chapter 7 of the story. And the title of that message is The Battle Begins. And at this particular time, they're facing a military operation where defeat is no option. The difference here is when God's involved and it's God promises, God's promises and God's the commander-in-chief, the words carry much more weight. Defeat was not to be an option for Israel. God had spoke to them and says, it is time to enter into the promised land. Realizing, and try to keep this in context, he says, it's time. This promise was given over 600 years beforehand. They have been waiting for 600 years to see this promise fulfilled. Joshua is now the man to lead them. Moses is dead. 
Again, context. Here's this man Moses who led them out of Egypt, who confronted Pharaoh, who God used mightily, led them through the wilderness, who spoke to God, and he's dead. This leader that they finally had confidence in is now dead, and Joshua is the guy. And Joshua, Joshua, if you remember from the story earlier, he was one of the 12 spies. That when they got to Kadesh Barnea, where they were ready to just take that next step into the promised land, when Moses sent out 12 spies, 10 of them came back with a negative report, 2 of them came back with a positive report. Joshua was one of those that came back with a positive report. The others were saying, no, the giants are in the land. There are way too many people. They're way too strong. And oh my goodness, you should see their fortified cities. We aren't going God. And God says, okay, you're going to walk 40 years in the wilderness. One year for every day that the spies were in the land. They spied out the land for 40 days. You're going to walk in the wilderness for 40 years. And... Not a single one of you that are of age are going to go into the land. You're all going to die in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb, who came with a good report. So the scene, I'm going to set the scene, and I'm going to use a couple maps. And if you can zoom in on the maps with that camera, that would be great. And you may or may not be able to see these real well. But I want us to see some context. If you recall, they walked around in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're finally over in this area over here, if you can see, by Ensign Geber, Mount Seir. And they're getting ready to go up. And if you want to go to the next slide, the next map, we can see now there's Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is the mountain where it tells us in the Word that Moses went up on Mount Nebo. And Moses got to see, God gave him a view of the promised land, even though he was going to die on the mountain and be married by God, buried by God. So they're right up in this area, somewhere around Mount Nebo, and then right here, running down the center, is the Jordan River. And we know they're camped somewhere over here on the west side of the Jordan River. And we know to enter into the promised land, they've got to cross that Jordan River and then once they cross that land, they're going to run smack dab into Jericho. So they're camped here, and God says it's time to go in. What's different? Forty years have passed. A generation has died away. And they're standing there ready to walk into the promised land. What's different? There are still giants in the land. There's still numerous people. There's large numbers of people. And there's walled cities. They're still there. And Moses is dead. The leader they had grown accustomed to, he's dead. And now they're supposed to go in and take the land. Well, the good news, bad news is that generation has died away, but this new generation has had a few problems already. But when Joshua tells them what they're supposed to do, he says, oh, they say, okay. And now, as I pointed out on the map, the Jordan River. Now, if you've seen pictures of the Jordan River, or you maybe have seen ministry groups that have went on tours over there, and the people are going down in the Jordan River to get, get baptized in the Jordan River. It's kind of a dirty, slow-moving little river. 
Well, that's not the way it was when it was time for them to cross and go through the Jordan River. The Jordan River was at flood stage. Now, if you can see the terraces on your left in that picture, much of the Jordan River shoreline is like that. Different levels of flooding. And since Bible times, that river has been changed dramatically because of all of the, the irrigation and the changing of the waterways for drinking that they've used. So not near as much water goes down that Jordan River as it used to. And it says in the story, when they were ready to cross over, when God says, yeah, I think now is a good time, it was at flood stage. It was overflowing its banks. This would have looked like an impassable river. Especially when Joshua looks over his shoulder and sees two million plus people that have got to cross this river. So it's a situation where you look at it and think, well, God, I, I guess you know what you're doing, but this doesn't look all that good. We're supposed to go in. And if you do get across the river, go back to that map. There you go. God, you're on the ball. Thank you. If you cross the river and we get past there, there's Jericho. Now again, we look at some of these little towns and villages on a map and, and we read the Bible stories and we go, oh, Jericho, a quaint little town. We sing that cute little song about the walls come tumbling down. We got to realize they're facing the most fortified Canaanite city in all of Canaan. There it is. God's saying, cross over, and we're not going to sneak in the south side from Kadesh Barnea where there wouldn't be a many. We're going to go right here where the raging river is in our way, and the most fortified city in all of Canaan is right there. And that city was the key city to open up the wilderness of Canaan to the people. And it had the fortified walls in this city. Again, you'd... In our lower story way of thinking, the way we think, we'd go, God, what are you doing? There's a much better way. Just ask us. We'll, we'll show you the better way. Well, with God, defeat is not an option. When we follow Him, when He has promised it, and He says, now's the time, defeat's not an option. As I said, when Patton gave his speech, he recognized the peril that the people were in. They realized what Hitler was doing, and he was giving a motivational speech, and I'm sure at the time, he probably didn't even believe it, but he was certainly hoping it would happen. When God says it, it's truth. It is going to happen. So we're going to read Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. And as I read this to you, and as you're reading it on the screen, I'd like you to try to notice God's promises, His exhortation, or really their commands, and then the cause and the effect of carrying out this plan. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am going to give you. To the sons of Israel, every place in which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
All the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law should not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow. One of the things that I see in the whole picture of that section of Scripture is God prepares his people for the now. What's taking place in our lives right now, God has been preparing us even though we may not know it. We may not have understood what we're walking through. You may not understand what you're walking through even now, but God prepares his people in advance. When you look at that section of Scripture, his promises... Look at the power of those promises. I have given you the land. No matter everywhere you set your foot, that land's yours. I will not leave you. I am with you. Promise after promise from God himself. And his, his exhortation, and really it's a command when you read it, isn't it? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Oh, by the way, be strong and courageous. Three times, God's speaking to him. Now he's speaking to Joshua. This is one of those two spies who had a positive report. They're one of the two. He's one of the two that said, let's go into the land and take it right now. Our God is bigger than the giants. We can go in and take it. Forty years passed. Here he is. Now he's the man. And God has given him these promises. And yet he says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Even though God is moving, God has given the orders. He knows there is the opportunity for doubt or fear or trembling to get in. But we're to be strong and courageous. Joshua did all that the Lord commanded. And the people surprisingly said, Joshua... Whatever you command us to do, that's what we will do. And wherever you command us to go, that's where we're going to go. At the moment in time, I'm not sure that it encouraged me so much because the previous generation had said the same thing. And this generation had already whined about water once and Moses struck the rock with a stick when he wasn't supposed to and now he doesn't get to enter the promised land. But it's a new generation. And this could be a whole other teaching, but I think it's so exciting to know that a new generation has an opportunity to write a new story. When you get saved, you're a new creature in Christ. You are a new generation. You can rewrite your story. We can rewrite the story of our previous generations. It doesn't matter what our great-grandparents were, our parents were. It doesn't matter. We can write a new story through Christ. That is so encouraging, hope-building. 
We don't have to live out that old story. There's a new story available to us. Well, those of you that have read the story in Joshua, I'd encourage you to read the book of Joshua. I just love that book. They get through the Jordan River miraculously. God tells the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and step in. And as soon as your toes touch the water, the water's going to back up and stop. And you're all going to walk through on dry land. Sounds like the Red Sea all over again. And they pass through. And now they're ready to go to Jericho. Well, almost ready to go into Jericho. Here's God's military strategy. Okay? You're Joshua. God's speaking to you. And here's what he says. We're going to cross the river. It's a flood stage, I know, but we'll cross it. Joshua sends in a spy, so they're going to have an inside man. Well, in this case, it's an inside woman. And she happens to be a prostitute. Good plan, God. And then we're going to cross the river, and then we're going to circumcise every single guy with a flint knife. Ouch. I mean, come on, flint knife we're gonna, with a sharp piece of rock. Because nobody's been circumcised in their 40 years in the wilderness. And God wants his people to be identified as his people. Great plan so far, God. Now my whole military's wounded. And then he says, what we're going to do is we're going to form a parade. Marching band, if you'd like. We're going to put some warriors out front. Then we're going to take seven priests and we're going to put them in the parade. And they're going to have trumpets and they're going to blow their horn. And then we're going to have priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of God. And then behind them, we're going to have the rear guard. And then here's what we're going to do. I want you to take the people out of the camp, and we're going to march around the city. And the people are going to be silent, but the trumpets are going to blow. And then we're going to go back to camp. And then the next day, we're going to do the same thing, and the next day and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Then on the seventh day, we're going to march around the camp the same way, only this time we're going to go around the camp, not once, but we're going to go around the camp seven times. And I want the people to be really quiet, the horns will be blowing, and then when you hear the trumpet, blow on that seventh time. Joshua says, I'm going to holler, shout, and we're going to shout. And the walls are going to come tumbling down. Really, God? Good plan. Think about this. This is the military strategy to take the most fortified city in all of Canaan. And before they've done this, here's what God says to him in Joshua 1, verse 2. Or Joshua 6, excuse me. Verses 1 and 2. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. That's the purpose of that spy going in and talking to the prostitute Rahab. Shut. They closed the gates to the city and she told them, you guys, there's no courage left in our people. They've heard about the Red Sea. They've heard about what you've done to these other kings. They've heard and they're scared of you. There is no courage left in them. The city is shut up. And then it goes on and he says, No one went out, no one came in. 
And the Lord says to Joshua, See, I have given, given Jericho into your hand with its king and all its valiant warriors. And my sarcasm would have to go, Really, God? I'm going to form a marching band and we're going to parade around the city and you're going to, they're going to scream, the walls will come down, the most fortified city, and then we're going to walk in. Oh yeah, and God's instructions were this. Kill everybody. If it breathes, kill it. He gave instructions, don't take anything other than what I tell you to take for the, for the, for the temple. That's it. When you look at that plan, you've got to say, to me, I say, no wonder he said be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. God had given him Jericho. Well, the story speeded up goes something like this. They do exactly what he said. The walls come tumbling down. Put up that picture of the walls. I don't even remember what slide that is. There. Is there one before that? There. This is actually from a, an archaeological dig at ancient Jericho. And you can see part of the wall. It was on a hillside. Now go to that second diagram. This is kind of what the walls are like. It was actually two walls. A wall in front with an embankment going up and another wall. And they've actually found the archaeological remains of that top wall falling down to the bottom wall, bridging the, the embankment and then the bottom wall falling down. So it would almost be like a road ramp right into the, the city. And they went in and they took the city. We're not going to go into the story, but if you read the story, you heard of the man named Achan. A-C-H-A-N. He saw some gold and some silver and some pretty cool stuff and he said, I can't believe we're going to burn it all. So he took some, violated God's word, hid it in his tent. And they decided to go up to Ai. Is there a map real close by? There you go. If you see, right down here is Jericho, right above the, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. And if you can see right over here just a little ways, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a city called Ai. Ai. They decided it's so close, let's go take it too. And they went up there. And by now, remember, this is a mighty, mighty people God has raised up. Millions of them. Just as he'd prophesied, promised. And they march on I and they get beat. And they get driven back. And Joshua's like, what in the world happened? And God tells him, somebody broke the rules. There's a teaching here on corporate obedience. Somebody broke the rules. And he says, bring somebody. We're going to go through all 12 tribes. And we're going to find out who broke the rules. Boy, by the time they got to Achan's tribe, I would have been really nervous if I was Achan. Because he'd hidden the gold and silver, some other things, under the floor of his tent. And when it came, he confessed to what he had done. They took Achan outside the city with his wife, his family, all of his belongings, his animals, and killed them all. And then they went and took the city of Ai. Because God's blessing was back on them. Their disobedience had gotten in the way. And then they went into what is called the Southern Campaign. And as you look on this map down here from Jericho, they go on out, all these cities. And they conquer in the Southern Campaign five kings, five cities. And if you read the story and if you didn't, you decided to intrigue you. In the midst of that campaign is where Jericho spoke and God stopped the sun. 
from setting. And the day didn't end, so the slaughter could continue. And then after that, they went up into the northern campaign. By now, everybody's scared of the Israelites. Everybody's in awe of their God. Fourteen kings come together and they form an alliance. And say, we got to stop these people. And in the northern campaign, this alliance is defeated at the battle at the waters of Merin. And then it says this in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And then it said this, Thus the land had rest from war. I'm going to take a little sidebar here because it can be troubling if we don't understand some of these things from God's upper story, God's perspective. God's command to Israel when they were to go into these cities, it wasn't just to conquer the city. It wasn't just to conquer the king. They were to go in and eliminate the city. They were to go in and there were no survivors and there were no prisoners. And lots and lots of people have a hard time with that. Doesn't it sound harsh and cruel of a God? We need to remind ourselves that this is the God that sent the flood in Noah's day. This is the God in who in his upper story, his hope, his plan is to bring a place where he can come and live with his people. Where he can come and fellowship with his people. Where he can raise up a people that will be a standard for the world to see and say, wow, there are God's people and other people will be drawn to them. And in the midst of this, he cannot tolerate this evil. We're not seeing the harshness and cruelty of God here. We're seeing the consistency of his upper story. A couple of verses. In Deuteronomy 9.5, God is speaking to Moses right after the Ten Commandments have been given to him. And here's what he said. It is not for your righteousness or for your uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you. In order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you catch that? It's not because you're good. Not because you're that special. It's because of the wickedness and evil of those people. I'm going to drive them out of the land. And if we go back even further in history, 600 years earlier when Abraham was given this promise by God to make a great nation out of them, he said there's some conditions that are going to be met before you go in and take that land. And in, in Genesis 15, verse 16, it says, Then in the fourth generation you will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, this people isn't as evil as they're going to get. We don't see a cruel and unjust God. We see a just and righteous God. And we also see a God who's patient and long-suffering. He has given the people that are inhabiting this land over 600 years to change. And they didn't. As a matter of fact, it gets worse and worse. In Deuteronomy 12, 31, it describes these people, the Canaanites and all the other ites that are in there, and it says, he's warning the Israelites, and he says, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, 
because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. Prostitution was part of their temple worship. They had become as perverse and as evil as you could come. And God says, this is it. I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm going to drive them out of the land and give you the land. He had to drive out evil and destroy evil because he knew and knows the tendency of a human heart. He knew that if they inhabit the land and he leaves the sinful people there and the idol worshipers there, they're going to do and worship their idols. They're going to worship their gods. They're going to intermarry. He knew what they would do. Just like he knows with us what we'll do if we're left to our own devices. But God was trying to create a place where he could come and live with his people and have a unique people, a people that would draw the attention of the world to them. Guess what? That's what God's trying to do today. He still wants a unique people. He still wants to dwell amongst his people. Jesus now has come. He's went to the cross and died for our sins. The Holy Spirit lives in us, his people. He's still looking for a people that will lead lives that will draw the world's attention. We are not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to do what the world does. We're to live differently. Guess what? How? Well, I think the advice he gave Joseph is apropos for us. How do we live differently so that the world sees we're different? We need to be strong and courageous. That's what we need to be. Now, you might say, it's courageous, strong and courageous. I'm not all that strong, and I'm not sure I'm filled with courage. What does it take to, what, what courage do I need to, to live a life different? Well, it's a lot. You and I not face giants in the land with swords or armor, but we all face giants. We all have walls that we've got to go through. They're all there. We need courage. It takes courage to live the life that God has called you and me to. It takes courage to live the life that he has as part of our destiny. It takes courage to admit you're a sinner and need a savior. It takes courage. It takes courage to respond to an altar call to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and walk to the front of a church. That takes courage. It takes courage to go out and be publicly baptized, walk into the water and be dunked under the water and come out of the water, publicly identifying yourself as a Christian. That takes courage. It takes courage to end a relationship that you know is ungodly or to change that relationship that's got ungodly attributes in it. It takes courage. It takes courage in the workplace to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore to your superiors. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to be dishonest. That takes courage to live a life that's different than the world. It takes courage to go home and start praying with your husband or your wife when you've never done it before. It takes courage to say we're going to have family devotions when you've never done it before. That takes courage. It takes courage to fight for your marriage when the person you're married to, you don't even know if you love her anymore or him anymore, and you're not sure he or she loves you either. That takes courage to live a life that's different. 
It takes courage to admit that you're struggling with pornography, gambling, drugs, alcohol. That takes courage. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to live a life different than the world. We need courage like that to be a different people. It takes courage to be that new generation and write a new story. It takes courage to make the choices that we have to make to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. Being a Christian that will live the life that God has called us to is not easy. We will face giants. We will face walls. We need to be strong and courageous. Now that sounds good, but how do I do it? There is a secret to success. God showed us when he gave it to the Israelites. It's called the Word of God. The Word of God. We have something they didn't have. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And yet this very Word of God that can help us to live a successful life that's filled with promises and blessings sits like this on a shelf somewhere in most of our homes most of the time. We need to be courageous enough to pick it up and see what God has for us. There are amazing blessings and promises in the Word of God for us. We need to take the advice that he gave in his secret plan of success for the Israelites. It's not so secret. It shouldn't be. First, what did he say? Be in the Word of God so that it never departs from your mouth. Now, in case you get confused on that, it doesn't mean it, ever, it never comes out of your mouth. It means it continually comes out of your mouth. That you know the Word of God so that it doesn't depart, so you don't shut it up, so you can speak the Word. It's powerful. Jesus in the wilderness, when he was tempted, spoke the word. And the enemy fled. We need to speak the word. We need to know it and be in the word. And then his second step was what? Meditate on the word. Think on the word. Grab a hold of it. I got a phone call a couple days ago, actually from my daughter. And it ended very briefly because she said, I'll call you back later. And what we were talking about really got me all worked up inside. And I felt fear starting to enter into my heart. And it was amazing how powerful it was when I didn't even know what I was afraid of. But I was afraid it was going to be something bad with my grandkids, with their pregnancy. Because I knew she'd just come home from the doctor. And boy, I started claiming the promises of God. I started speaking the ones I knew. You know what I did? I couldn't remember all of them, so I got it out and went to my concordance in the back because I could only remember a word or two. But I wanted them all. And I'm not saying it was a coincidence. It may have been a learning experience for me, but when I called her, when she finally called back, it was all good news. Now, I don't know if it was my promises or not, but it sure made me feel better. Reminding myself that fear and faith cannot coexist. I need the Word of God to build up my faith. That's why he says meditate on the Word. They're getting ready to go in and face the giants in the land, the most fortified city with their spears, and God tells them to go in there with a trumpet and holler. I think I need a reminder of the promises of God. Third, do what the Word says. Imagine that, huh? 
Know the word, speak the word, meditate on the word, obey the word. Because it's after he told Israel about doing the word, he said, then, then you will have victory, then you will prosper, then you will be successful. Most of the time, or often anyway, when we're walking in defeat and we start questioning God and wondering about God and where are you, God, the reality is we should say, God, shine the spotlight on my life and show me where I'm not being obedient to you. Because then the promises of God will be there for us. And fourthly, be people of prayer. There's a couple of definitions of courage that I had written down. The first one I've already skipped past. It was this. Courage is not the absence of fear, but moving forward in spite of the fear. You probably read it on the screen behind me. There's another one that you might be reading up there now. I'm not sure. But I like this one. Courage is simply fear that said its prayers. Now I know that simplifies things a lot, but you know what? Praying. Talking to God. If we can get those things as a part of our spiritual discipline, as a part of our life, that we're going to read the Word, know the Word, speak the Word. We're going to meditate on the Word. We're going to do what the Word says and we're going to pray. We will walk in success and victory. We will have the strength and courage that it takes to do some of those things. And that list I gave you could go on and on and on and on. To live lives that bring glory to God. Remember the words to Joshua that we read. He said, I will be with you. In Joshua 1.9, he said it this way. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it's absolutely true for us. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. God's plan is to come and live with his people. Fellowship with his people. He's trying to create a people that will be a magnet for the world. A people that look different. A people that where he can come and live and fellowship intimately with us. That's the people we need to be. Let's pray. Lord, those words, be strong and courageous, resonate in my mind, my spirit. Father, we are so easily influenced by peer pressure. We are so easily controlled by fear of reject rejection or intimidation. God, it is so easy for us to lose track of how big our God is when we're looking at giants in our own lives. God, forgive us when we underestimate who you are, how amazing you are. God, I pray that in each one of our lives, each one of our hearts, you would deposit an insatiable appetite for your word. And help us in our weakness and our humanness so that we might allow that fruit of the Spirit, that self-control to to become a part of our life, that discipline of being in your word, that we might walk in the victory that you have for us.
And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.